Welcome to the Life Changing Principles Podcast, where we take a new principle every week and explore how it changes our lives. I'm Leanne Hunt, ready to jump into today's principle. When my husband was 30 years old, he called me one day from work and I couldn't make out his words. It scared me, and so I called work back and asked someone to check on him to make sure he was okay, and then I drove down there. It was just a few minutes away. When I got there, he couldn't speak, and one side of his face was drooping. The secretary had checked on him, but left him there unable to speak because he didn't respond to her questions. I called 911, and then they took him to the hospital. This is terrible. How could he possibly have had a stroke at age 30? And what an idiot coworker to have left him there for extra minutes instead of calling 911. Can you believe someone can be so inept? I'm so unlucky. He was admitted to the hospital and the next day they did some neurological tests. When they asked him how much five quarters was, he said a dollar. I was really worried. So I brought him some easy books to read the next day to see if he could read. He couldn't. My life is over. I'm so unlucky. How could this be happening to us? I'm staying, I'm a stay at home mom. I have two kids and one on the way due in six weeks. What are we supposed to do? We're never going to make it. My husband was off for a month. His parents came out for a visit and I went into labor and delivered a baby boy. The cord was wrapped around his neck and it took forever. He was blue when he came out. When I got home, my other son had a fever and my daughter couldn't eat or drink. I looked in her mouth and she had blisters all over. I started shouting orders everywhere. Get the Tylenol. Take our daughter to the pediatrician. She ended up having hand, foot, mouth virus. I can't believe how unlucky I am, how all these things stack up against me. It's always like that. It's like the world is out to get me. This on top of my husband's stroke. When I was in labor, they were more worried about how he was holding up than how I was. Life is so unfair. When my husband was 30 years old, he called me one day from work and I couldn't make out his words. It scared me, so I called work back and asked someone to check on him to make sure he was okay and I drove down there. He couldn't speak and one side of his face was drooping. The secretary had checked on him but left him there unable to speak because he didn't respond to her questions. I called 911 and they took him to the hospital. Wow, I am really worried about him. I am so glad I live in an age where you can just call 911 and people who know what they're doing will come and get him. And I can't believe his coworker just left him there and didn't call herself. She must be really inexperienced. I bet she feels terrible right now. I'm just glad he's in good hands. He was admitted to the hospital and the next day they did some neurological tests. When they asked him, how much five quarters was? He said a dollar, and I was really worried. I brought him some easy books to read the next day to see if he could read, and he couldn't. Wow, he might not be able to return to work. That's something we'll have to figure out. But I'm really glad he's alive and that he can talk to me and the kids. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two kids at home and one due in six weeks. But I'm also really grateful that I have a degree, and I can go back to work if I absolutely have to. We'll get through this. My husband was off for about a month. His parents came out to visit. I went into labor and delivered a boy. The cord was wrapped around his neck and it took forever. He was blue when he came out. When I got home, my other son had a fever and my daughter wouldn't eat or drink. I looked in her mouth and she had blisters all over. I started shouting orders everywhere. Get the Tylenol, take our daughter to the pediatrician. She ended up having hand, foot, mouth virus. 
I can't believe how lucky I am. His parents were still visiting and could help help out. And I don't know how we would have gotten along without them. All these things are stacking up and they're really hard to handle. But I'm glad I have the disposition to handle what comes my way and the support from my family and friends to get through this hard time. I am so lucky. So the circumstances in these two stories are the same. It's all about what you're focusing on, how you frame the situation. When I was younger, I knew this was the case. I knew you could always look on the sunny side of things, look on the bright side. But I always felt like then that sometimes it was just being silly and blind not to acknowledge how hard things are for some people sometimes. If you're always just dismissing the bad and saying, oh, everything's going to be okay, it's just fine, or I'm still grateful I'm alive, or I'm glad I don't have it worse like some people do, it seems like somehow you're not allowing yourself to be sad or angry or experience the difficult of the situation, especially when you're in the middle of it. It's hard to find the benefit of a hard situation. It's hard to reframe the way you think about it. Now that I'm older, I've realized that there are huge benefits to cognitive reframing, to reframing your thoughts of how you think about something. But there's also a nuance to it. Here's a few things that I've learned, some nuances to reframing our thoughts, including some research that informs the process and gives even more powerful insights. So the first insight I have is that reframing our thoughts creates a moment of positive emotion. And that moment of positive emotion gives us more options. This idea comes from the work of Barbara Fredrickson with her broaden and build concept that goes something like this. So if I'm stuck in a negative ruminating ugly place and my brain doesn't see any options or as many options, people who are induced into a negative emotional state literally have less peripheral vision. They can't come up with as many ideas in a brainstorming session and they find less creative uses for an object. So if you're in a negative mood or just have a negative emotion going on, you're not as creative. You can't think of as many things. When people are induced into a positive emotional state, they have more peripheral vision, literally, and they come up with more ideas and more creative ideas when asked what to do with a particular object. When I reframe my thoughts to be grateful or to look for benefits or to see the positive side of a hard thing, at the same time acknowledging the really hard stuff, it puts me in a slightly better mood and that slightly better mood allows my brain to produce more ideas for coping with my situation. So if you can manage to just slightly change the way you're looking at something and create a tiny bit more positivity or more realistic view of what's happening, then it allows you to think of more ways to solve what's happening, which then creates more coping resources for you in the long run. The second insight relates to Martin Seligman's emphasis on optimism. So Seligman is the father of positive psychology, and he's done a lot of research on optimism. And he even wrote a book called The Optimistic Child about how to teach our kids how to be resilient and fight depression. So he's this big proponent of optimism. But even he warns against what he calls empty optimism. There's a difference between empty optimism and realistic optimism. 
Empty optimism doesn't work. It has to be realistic. If I had to go back to work, it would have been really hard. Possible, but hard. I didn't pretend it would be easy simply returning to work and enjoying, you know, being a new working mom of three with a newborn at home. I couldn't just pretend that that was going to be just this wonderful situation. But I was grateful that I was trained as a computer programmer so I could make a living wage if I had to. No one asks for their spouse to be disabled, and I'm extremely fortunate that he wasn't. But I'm equally grateful that I have a marketable skill. Both can be true at the same time. Realistic optimism doesn't sugarcoat stuff. It looks at all the possibilities and benefits that are really there. So while we reframe to a more useful, more positive perspective, avoid empty optimism saying, oh, everything's going to be just fine and scooting all the hard stuff under the rug and instead shoot for realistic optimism, not focusing only on the negative, focusing on what's hard, but also what's positive. What strengths do you still have? What's still going well in your life? The third insight is about riding the roller coaster and allowing all the feelings. There's a difference between reframing your thoughts about a situation and stuffing down your emotions. So in my situation, if I had said, well, at least he's alive and I can work if I have to, and my son was born healthy, even if he was blue at first. So Leanne, what do you have to be sad about? Buck up, put a smile on your face. There's no sadness or anger here. No feeling sorry for yourself. Just stuff those tears right back where they came from. That's obviously not going to be helpful. I can reframe my thoughts to make the best of the situation and call forth more ideas and resources to make me more resilient. But if I don't at the same time allow myself to feel the whole roller coaster of emotions and, and feelings, then I'm going to get stuck. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to be useful. I can allow myself to feel sad, angry, and alone, and at the same time, be grateful for the silver linings that I can find when I reframe my thoughts. The way we frame our situation, the way we look at it, the stories we tell ourselves about our situations changes our response to the situation drastically. It's worth a great deal of effort to investigate and to, to practice this skill of cognitive reframing until we can look at any situation in our lives with an open curiosity and experiment with different ways to frame it until we find one that works for us. Thanks for being here and taking a little time out of your busy life for personal development. I applaud you for that. We take change one step at a time. You're already on your way. You're already enough. You've got this. Have a great week and we'll see you for the next principle.